0: Hello there, I'm D-Ready and welcome to Inside Intercom. On this week's show, we sit down with Tim Campos, CEO of Woven and former CIO at Facebook. Tim's is a fascinating career spanning 22 years, so he shares with us his thoughts on the enduring themes and changes he's seen over that period, as well as some of the people he's met along the way. We had so much to chat about with him, so it's a really enjoyable discussion, covering everything from his time at Facebook, his thoughts on AI and productivity tools, and his plans for Woven. If you enjoy my chat with Tim, make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes by subscribing at iTunes, Overcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, over to the studio. Tim, we're delighted to have you as a guest here on Inside Intercom. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to share a little bit. Um, uh, I am the CEO of a company called Woven, uh, which is a intelligent calendar for busy professionals. And I have spent my entire career focused on the productivity of others. Mm -hmm. Most recently, before starting Woven, I was CIO of... A company called Facebook. My job there was the productivity of the workforce. Part of that was a CIO of another uh, large uh, Fortune 500 company called KLA Tencore. And uh, the rest of my life has been in software engineering, building tools to help people get things done uh, without having to do all the work, take the work out of work. That's my, uh, my motto in life.
0: You've worked in the industry over 22 years, I think it is. So you have an incredible insight into like cloud networks, enterprise and data center technologies, and you've seen some incredible changes over that time, I'd imagine. What are the enduring themes that you've noticed?
1: I think in, in the enduring theme that is most interesting, that we don't really talk about is the importance of human technology interaction. Technology for a long time has been incredibly capable. You can do amazing things. Technology has helped us put a man on the moon. Mm. But the interface between the human and technology can have huge impact on whether or not we can take advantage of that, particularly in scale. You take, for example, the iPhone. You know, the iPhone was an amazing step forward, not because it brought forth a faster CPU or a better digital network no, the amazing uh, innovation of the iPhone was simply to bring the a new generation of user interface to market with the touchscreen, and to really enable a different interaction that people have with uh, computing devices. And uh, the other thing the iPhone did is it it allowed us to bring a lot of power with us from the desktop to wherever we are, and so. It's a great it's a poignant example of the importance of uh, human computer interaction and in in any of the roles that i have had going back to my first job at cybase in the 1990s this issue or this area of focus has been the difference between technologies that break out and are very successful and technologies that are uh, considered to be ahead of their time or just not the right product market fit is whether or not you can get the right human computer interaction. And in today's day and age with, you know, the new technology is artificial intelligence and natural language processing and image processing. And and our our technology can do so much more now than it ever has been able to uh, before. This issue of How does it relate to how human beings want to interact with things is still just as important as it's ever been. And where it's worked well with things like Alexa, you know, the Amazon Echo, you get a breakout product. And in other cases where the, you know, a lot of bots that people have tried to deploy or virtual assistants where we haven't really gotten that human computer interface down just right, then those products don't tend to work very well.
0: Well, that's interesting to me because I know you've spoken quite a bit before about the fact that AI isn't going to replace, say, the white collar workforce. Is it something that you see that there is kind of a sea change in how people feel about the rise of AI and about the rise of that type of technology, that there's more comfort level with it because we use products like Alexa and the iPhone in our everyday lives now? Well, I think there's there's
1: always a fear of change, mm-hmm. and whenever a, a new technology comes to bear, uh, particularly when you haven't had a chance to experience it directly yourself, uh, there it's very easy for people to speculate about the nefarious aspects of technology. Um, but I think what the other issue you run into is that the futurists, the people who are very optimistic about technology, sort of get ahead of themselves on, mm. on what the technology is going to do. Um, You know, even people like Elon Musk, you know, he's gone on record to say that, you know, we're close to the singularity. And if we don't put regulation in place to control the, uh, uh, you know, the coming singularity that the machines are going to take over the universe and kill us all. Um, And it's the greatest threat to the human species. And I don't believe any of that, um, in large part because I have to develop software. (laughs) Sure, of course. (laughs) This stuff. I wish it was that good. You know, it would dramatically reduce the amount of software engineering activity that we need to do. But the the reality is that all AI is, is fancy statistics. Sure. It is no better than the data that you feed into it. Um, And it has no soul. It has no ability to create something out of nothing, or at least that makes any sense.
0: Do you think then that a lot of companies that claim to have AI tools or apps, really all they have is data?
1: Uh, Yeah, I do think that that's a a big thing. So, you know, you take something like Facebook, you know, Facebook has a ton of of data from which to train algorithms to do things that, you know, to to our benefit, like optimize, you know, from choice of thousands of different pieces of content to put in front of us, which ones we're going to be most interested in. And that's not hard when you have a lot of data from which to train that Mm -hmm. algorithm. Uh, But when you don't have a lot of data, then that puts a lot more emphasis on the heuristics or on the intelligence of the algorithms. And for anybody who's familiar with machine learning and, and artificial intelligence will tell you that there hasn't actually been a dramatic increase or improvement in the quality of the algorithms over the last 20 years. All there has been is a dramatic drop in the cost of computing power and in the cost of storage of data. Uh, which allows us to feed those algorithms. So uh, when you get into like what are some of the best uses of AI, they are very much fueled by a data source. So a company like Tesla you know, is mm-hmm. able to collect information about road conditions from hundreds of thousands of cars that are able to feed that data into the car, have that pre-processed and then sent back to uh, Tesla over the cellular networks. Uh, That gives Tesla the ability to really fine tune their algorithms for self-driving. If you're trying to build that technology without that data, the complexity of that goes up dramatically. So, yes, I, I do think that data is a key aspect of this.
0: That's a really interesting insight. And you mentioned Facebook there at the start of it. Can we jump back a bit and ask you a little bit more about your role at Facebook?
1: Uh, yeah, so I was hired in 2010 when Facebook was uh, what I like to call a, a teenage company. It was about 1,400 people, just under a billion dollars in revenue. And I was hired as the CIO of the company with the, the mission of driving the productivity of the workforce. And that was actually a pretty tall order at the time. Facebook was a very productive company. It had about $900,000 in revenue per employee at the time, which was well over twice what the Silicon Valley average is. And Silicon Valley companies tend to be more productive than the economy overall. But you know, over the uh, almost seven years that I was at Facebook, we were able to double the productivity of the workforce and in, in large part by rethinking a lot of enterprise software. We built a bunch of next generation technology for everything from how we recruit employees into the company to how we manage the relationship with customers to how we let people in the front door. And the combination of those technologies were a big part of what fueled the productivity growth of the company while I was there.
0: And how in that time then did you end up worrying about people's calendar app? Well,
1: it started with, (laughs) in some respects, it started with how I was hired. Uh, Okay. When I, my second week into Facebook, I got a call from Mark Zuckerberg's EA and she said, we have a really important thing to talk with you about. Can you please show up at Mark's desk? First thing tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. And I so said, you're probably going to turn up for that. Yeah. yeah, I was, I was really excited about this. You know, I was two weeks into the company and Zuck's getting, you know, strategic about mm-hmm. it already. And, uh, when I showed up, he wasn't there. Dirty little secret. Mark Zuckerberg generally doesn't show up until 10 o'clock in the morning. And, um, Good for him. his, uh, executive assistants and Cheryl's executive assistants, they cornered me. They threw me in a conference room and then proceeded to read me the riot act about how the calendar was just destroying their productivity and their credibility, that they were having problems with meetings being double booked, uh, conference rooms being double booked, uh, meetings falling off the calendar. And it was creating no end to embarrassment for not only them, but for some of the executives at Facebook. And I had a week to fix this. And if I didn't, I was fired. So I took this quite seriously. It took a lot longer than a week to fix it. But what it did is it got me into the details of how calendars are built. And while I learned not only the, the source of the problems that Facebook was running into, I also started to see the tremendous opportunity to think differently about how the calendar works. Now, the calendar, most people don't realize this, it's it's built on top of email. And so it behaves like email. And while that sounds kind of normal and, and, you know, okay, well, should we expect anything different? When you get into the details of things, absolutely, we should. And in fact, it doesn't make any sense for it to behave like email. You know, when I when I write an email and I send it to somebody, it's gone. I can't change it. If I had a typo or if I need to include somebody else in that email thread, I have to send yet another email. The same thing is true with calendar events. The calendar events are distributed over email. They're specially formatted emails. They can't change. And so as a result of this, calendars can't be connected to things. So they, they don't know about what how we're spending our time. They don't know about the information that is gonna be discussed in an, an event. They're not connected to the information systems that are related to an event. And this really is a very old school way of thinking about information. In today's day and age, information is more powerful when you mash it up with other things, when you connect it. And so that's really all we've done with Woven is we've made it possible for calendar data to be enriched with other information so that people can help spend time on the things that matter most to them. And we use this to do simple things like I help people schedule meetings. Uh, but as time goes on, we're, we're building a lot more power into the calendar so that because we know the difference between an interview and, say, a board meeting, we can help make sure that those meetings or are more effectively prepared for and followed up from than one can do without Woven. And because time is the most valuable asset that we have, we think this is a really meaningful thing to do, particularly for knowledge workers.
0: So what's your mission statement at, at Woven then?
1: It's uh, to help people spend time on what matters most. And okay. it's a simple concept, hard to do, but you know there's only 24 hours in a day and, and there's no difference between the 24 hours that I have and the 24 hours that... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg has or Bill Gates has, the difference between us is how we choose to spend our time. And so it it is a very powerful way for people to affect their lives is to get control of their time.
0: And it seems that there is a bit of a renaissance in these type of productivity tools at the moment. So what's your take on that? How can it really, really help businesses outside of just say managing a calendar?
1: Well, so if we just look at productivity in general, The economy for the United States and for most developed countries is moving towards, you know, from a a manufacturing and even a service-based economy towards a knowledge-based economy. So what that means is that the value of corporations is very much determined by the thoughts and ideas and the creativity of their workforces. Your company is like this, certainly Woven is like this. Companies like Amazon are like this. And so the companies of the future need to be thinking much more strategically about the productivity of their workforce now what is productivity it's simply how much can one get done based on the amount of effort that they put into something and so if we can maximize the amount of time people spend on things that are of value uh, the maker time the creative time and we can minimize the things that take value away from us the administrative time the uh, the burdensome activities we can optimize productivity. So whether we're talking about how do we help people get through email more effectively with a product like Superhuman or how do we help people manage notes and information about how they're spending their time uh, like a company like Notion does, or if we're just talking about how their time is connected with other things, which is what Woven is about, these are really powerful concepts. And as the uh, technology evolves, uh, the workforce of the future is expecting tools that are much more powerful along these lines than the rest of us have grown up with. In fact, the productivity suite that we know and love, uh, things like Microsoft Office and uh, Google Suite, they really are no different today than they were 20 years ago. You know, if I open up Microsoft Office, what do I have? I have an email client. I have a calendar client. Mm. They behave exactly as they did 20 years ago. Maybe there's a couple of little nifty UI tricks here and there. But fundamentally, the product isn't much different. And uh, that's what companies like Woven and Superhuman and others are, are really taking advantage of, is that Microsoft and Google are just not the right organizations to think about the future of work.
0: Well, that's interesting because a lot of those would have even based their suite of products on the traditional office that came even before the type of technology we use today. So on that then, how do you feel about emerging and growing technologies that are being applied in this arena? So like the likes of AI, of people working in mobile circumstances, kind of more collaboration
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think there's an amazing technical renaissance um, Mm. with technologies like Slack and Zoom. And what they provide is a framework for more intelligent systems to plug in. So Slack, one of the things that makes Slack a really powerful tool is the ecosystem around it. You can have a lot of Slack bots. And, you know, a, a Slack bot can do everything from help you with customer service to connect with your customers to, you know, soon with a woven Slack interface schedule and manage your time. And what's amazing about Slack is it, it provides a better framework for one to plug in an AI bot than email. For mm. For us with email to uh, associate an email bot with uh, our systems would really only further burden the knowledge worker with more emails to manage. That you know, emails are written to be read. They are, You know, there's the goal for any uh, email application is to get you through every single email that you have received. So increasing the volume of communication there is only going to create work for the knowledge worker, and that's why those of us who use email hate it uh, <laughs> because it's just it's a lot of work. It's a and and it only seems to be getting worse every year. Slack is a different beast. If if I miss something in a Slack message, it's not kind of not a big deal. It'll come back to me later, and it the that tool does a much better job of connecting me to the things that I need to see and react and deal with right now. Uh, just by nature of, of the way that it works. So it is a much better technology and framework for uh, communication and collaboration and, and also for taking advantage of, of AI. And that's just one thing. I mean, when we look at other aspects of the productivity suite tasks and how you know uh, one keeps track of their to-do list and how that is integrated with other things, there's a lot of opportunity here for further in- intelligence. So I'm really... Bullish on this space. I think that the somewhat ridiculous valuation that companies like, you know, Zoom, Slack, uh, even in the private markets, Airtable, Superhuman, Notion have been getting are justified because these technologies are going to be extremely impactful and have huge impact on the workforce in the future. And as my kids get to the workplace, you know, I have, I have teenagers now. They are going to demand these technologies. They will not find acceptable the collaboration suite of the past. They don't understand files and documents and memoranda and cellophane slides. These things don't make any sense to them. They want the next generation technologies. They want messaging. They want uh, ephemeral communication systems. They want things that they can use on their phone quite easily. And all of these technologies are really optimized and designed for that.
0: So while that's all true, is there a risk, though, that as we keep adding to the productivity suite, as you call it, because like we're listing off loads of different companies here, all of whom in their own arena are really, really good and really successful at what they do. But by adding to that suite, are we going to end up at a tipping point where we start to add to people's workloads rather than facilitating them? Because if there's all these different apps that you need to use does it become a case of, well, it was easier back in a day when I just had email and I just had my calendar?
1: That's a very good question. And there's a lot of interesting things to to discuss on this. But I think to to summarize, it has always been the case that the technology misapplied creates a problem for the human. Uh, This goes back to my initial point that the human computer interaction is essential here. Mm. And so whether we're talking about a single technology like email where email has just become way overused for its purpose and therefore it's overwhelmed the human and there needs to be alternative systems to facilitate communication and collaboration which we are now starting to see with text messaging and slack and and uh, microsoft teams and other things The same is true for your question that, you know, yes, of course, at at some point, it's easy to overload an individual or a workforce with too much technology. And in the case of the individual, we tend to self-correct. You know, if I, you know, in my personal life, I just have too many things heading my way with, you know, Facebook Messenger and TikTok and LinkedIn and all this other stuff, I'll turn off the things that don't matter to me anymore. Sorry, Facebook, but I, I just don't use it as much. It's not as valuable a part of my day. And at the enterprise level within companies, this is why you, you're always going to need technology leadership. That the role of the CIO or the CTO for a corporation really needs to be to ensure that the tool set that the workforce has is optimal for them. And uh, because groups like a finance department or A recruiting department can't independently choose their tools. The finance department has to choose a financial system. The recruiting department needs to choose an applicant tracking system. A technology leader really needs to be involved to help make sure that when, as that decision is made, it's made holistically. So you look at the overall impact to the workforce and not create the problem that you're you're talking about. But the reality is that that issue isn't new, and you can have a perfectly productive workforce in today's day and age with all the plethora of technologies just by having someone filter through what are the important ones to use. And you can have a completely ineffective uh, workforce 10 years ago just with Microsoft Office because you know, the way that the company has those technologies set up is uh, suboptimal for, um, for the team. So it's it's not really, I think, a function of the availability of technology. It's just how they are chosen to be applied. I'm just going to pause the podcast there for a second to tell you that the Intercom Customer Service Trends Report 2024 is out now. We asked 2,000-plus customer service teams across the globe how they are meeting the challenges and opportunities of 2024. In it, you'll see this year's top five customer service trends, plus strategies to meet rising customer expectations. You can find the report at inter.com forward slash 2024 trends. Okay, back to today's episode.
0: One thing I think a lot of our listeners will be curious about because your career has been so much about facilitating productivity. So if a company is moving from the startup to the scale-up phase, for example, there is a potential as they get that bit bigger, that along the way, productivity practices can be lost along the wayside, or maybe you adopt the wrong ones for that ecosystem that we've talked about. Based on your career and your time in Facebook, what is your advice to companies in that particular position?
1: This is where embracing creative destruction can be really, really powerful. And what I mean by that is being willing to give up on how things have been done up to this point in order to make space for how things should be done moving forward. Um, and let's go back to the technology we've been talking about so far, Slack. Um, you know, for a small company, the way that Slack is going to be set up will be different than the way Slack should be set up for a large organization. Mm. And so it's okay. In fact, it's good if a company periodically takes a step back and says, you know what, it's time for us to throw away this thing, is how this thing is set up and start fresh with a new implementation in order to better optimize it for our current scale. You know, A company that is you know, less than 100 people in size doesn't have a lot of middle management. They don't have a lot of need to coordinate amongst itself. A company that is 10,000 people in size is dominated by those issues. And so your communication technology, whatever it is, really needs to be optimized for that. So creative destruction makes this possible And one of the things that is uh, sometimes hard for organizations is is we get attached to our setup, to our tools. And we think that the way that things were in the past is how they should be moving forward because that's what all we've experienced. But when you get into the business of retiring technologies proactively, like just making the determination, it's okay, this year we're going to end this service. It really helps to keep the company focused on uh, its productivity today. And we, we were very good at this at Facebook. There were a lot of technologies that we implemented that were hugely successful that we ended up throwing away just three years later. And that's because there was a better solution for the company as, as it got larger. So whether that was going from Box to Dropbox or going from email distribution list to Facebook Workplace, mm-hmm. that we were constantly evolving the technology stack that the company had to use. And we're quite comfortable retiring technologies. And without that emphasis, we would not have been able to maintain the productivity growth that we had during my tenure.
0: And I suppose part of being able to be that brave to retire technology comes from having such a big organization that you can actually support those sort of decisions. What I'm curious about in your career then is what is it like to take that sort of management experience from a tech giant like Facebook and then flip it on its head to apply it to your own company the way that you've done?
1: Well, uh, it's a night and day difference. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. What, what I had at Facebook and, and what I have here. Some things are actually very easily applied. In today's day and age, if you're building technology on a cloud computing platform like Amazon or Google Cloud, you have this whole suite of infrastructure technologies from which to build your app. And so for the engineers at my company, Building Woven is really not much different than what it's like to build inside of Facebook. We just use publicly available technologies as opposed to an, an internal private cloud. Mm. From a leadership perspective, it's it's you, know, you have to scale your, your leadership style. At Facebook, I had a lot of resources around me. I had a large staff. I had a large organization. So I could think big in terms of what I was doing. And at Woven, I can think big in the long term. But in the short term, I have to be very much more conscious about how much we can digest as an organization and that's been uh, a good uh, learning experience for me going from big to small is becoming even more ruthless about prioritization because we just don't have uh, the same set of resources that we did at Facebook and, and we have to be very judicious about how we spend our time.
0: I'd imagine you do. With that in mind then you've just spoken about adapting your leadership style. So before we wrap up, who's the business or organizational leader that you most aspire to and why?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, it's hard to nail it down to just one person because my leadership style is really comes from a a fusion of different leaders that, uh, I've been exposed to. I mean, obviously one of the things that I really enjoyed about Mark Zuckerberg, I, I learned from him how important it is to surround yourself with people who compliment you. He is not the most intelligent business person in the universe. He's a great product guy, a a good engineer. So that's why he recruited Cheryl Sandberg. He got Mm. one of the most intelligent business people that he could find. And he did a phenomenal job of that. And I think that's a great practice for leaders of companies at all scales. I have a friend uh, who runs a very small IT services company called Insight in, in Berkeley. And what I've learned from him is you know, the importance and, and really the techniques of leading through culture, even more so than Facebook. The way that this uh, individual runs his company, he's so focused on the way that people feel about their jobs and their the service that they're providing to customers that it has led to just phenomenal performance of his uh, business over the last 10 years. He's in a business that's very difficult to succeed in and to grow in, and he's been doing incredibly well in large part, because of this emphasis on the the culture of the organization. So, my leadership style is very much a fusion of people that I am inspired by. When it comes to product, you know, it's 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 hard not to, you know, be inspired by leaders like uh, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk and how they have been, you know, fearless in defining what the future is going to look like, and they don't measure their success of their vision by whether people believe them or not. Uh, They measure the success of their vision based on whether they believe themselves, whether they can bring to reality what it is that they're trying to do. And by driving their organizations hard, they have accomplished things that people have thought were impossible. So I, I really love the, the fusion of all that. And unfortunately, it doesn't give me one person to say is uh, my inspiration, but it's really No,
0: that's, that's quite all right. I think that's a really nice mix. And I love that you have a personal friend in there who leads by culture, uh, like among these kind of tech giants. So lastly, before we let you go, where can people keep up with your work? Oh,
1: well, that's uh, very easy. So mm-hmm. we, uh, you can find us at woven.com. And uh, we have a lot of information about our product, about our journey, about some of the, the capabilities that we have and the technology there. There's also a blog that I uh, provide updates on everything from you know what's going on with the company to just uh, general musings on uh, productivity and technology. You can also follow me on, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, TCampos.
0: Brilliant. Well, listen, Tim, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Some amazing insights there. So thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom.